Hello and welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I am the Adult Ministry Coordinator for the Discipleship Ministry Team of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. This week we're going to be talking about the Passion of the Christ. So if you want to preach on the uh, Palm Sunday, then I don't have the resource for you this week. But we'll be using the Passion Text. And that'll be for April 14th. Uh, It's Year C, the Liturgy of the Passion. But before we get into that, I wanted to let you know about an event that's coming up April 27th at the New Hope Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Paducah, Kentucky. It's the CPYC Experience. It's a free one-day youth event for 6th to 12th graders to experience what one day at CPYC is like. It includes an opening gathering with energizers, music and games, a small group time centered on the theme for the day, recreation, dinner, and worship, There's also a time of promoting CPYC and testimonies from students who have been to CPYC and the impact that it's had on on their life. And so that's April 27th. Uh, That's run by the Discipleship Ministry Team. Uh, Jody Rush will be doing the children. And then Nathan Wheeler will be doing uh, the youth portion of it. They do a really great job. And so I encourage everybody to come and visit. If you would, go to cpcmc.org forward slash cpyc one day forward slash so that's cpcmc.org forward slash cpyc o-n-e-d-a-y forward slash and that'll give you a a link to register so they'll know kind of how many people are coming so they can be prepared for everybody so if you've never done a cpyc or if you've never gone to cpyc or none of your Uh, church youth have ever gone to CPYC, this is a good time to come and see what it's all about. I encourage everybody to do so. All right, so that brings us then to our lectionary text. Again, I'm going to do the Passion text. So that's going to be Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, Psalm 31, 9 through 16, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and then pretty much all of Luke chapter 23. I'm not going to hit on all of Luke, but pretty much all of Luke 23 is the text. So, to get started, in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, the whole theme of this is that the Lord is in control of our lives, right? And He is in control of the world. And essentially, we have two choices. We can either be those opposed to God's will, or we can be those who submit ourselves to everything that God has in store for us. Unfortunately, that could be good or bad. It's ultimately good because we serve a loving God who has good plan for His children, but sometimes that means that we have to go through the suffering. Before we get into that, I do want to read a prayer. Uh, It's called the Passion Prayer. It's been used for many years in the church. Dear Lord Jesus, by your passion and resurrection, you brought life to the world. But the glory of the resurrection came only after the sufferings of the passion. You laid down your life willingly and gave up everything for us. Your body was broken and fastened to a cross. Your clothing became the prize of soldiers. Your blood ebbed slowly but surely away, and your mother was entrusted to the beloved disciple. Stretched out on the cross, deprived of all earthly possessions and human aid, you cried to your father that the end had come. You had accomplished the work given you, and you committed into his hands, as a perfect gift, the little life that remained to you. Lord, teach me to accept all afflictions, after the example you have given. Let me place my death in yours, and my weakness in your abandonment. Take hold of me with your love, that same foolish love that knew no limits, and let me offer myself to God with you, 
so that I might rise with you to eternal life. Amen. Now, most of us have heard the phrase, the Passion of the Christ, and you've probably seen the movie, but you might not know exactly what it means. We speak of the word passion today as something of an intense desire, and we often use use it in a romantic context, like someone is passionately in love with someone else. But in the Christian context, it simply means suffering. It comes from a Latin word uh, spelled P-A-T-I-O-R, and I'm just spelling it because I took Greek and Hebrew. I did not take Latin, and I don't want to sound like a complete idiot. But that word simply means suffering. Now, it has been argued that because of the term passion being assigned to Christ's suffering, the culture, our culture, has grown it to mean what it does today. So, in other words, Christ's great love for God and humanity drove him to endure all this suffering to complete the mission. And so, someone who has passion, it means that they'll go to the greatest lengths to display their commitment to that which they're passionate about. The greatest lengths. They'll endure all suffering uh, to make sure that whatever they're passionate about is achieved. And so that's what the passion of the Christ means. It doesn't mean necessarily his affection. It just means that he has suffered. And so that's what we talk about this week uh, during the Passion Week. So Isaiah chapter 50. If you understand, if you look at the whole of the Passion Week and you're trying to make sense of the suffering of Christ, you can use this passage. And, and remember, I'm not good at, at titles, but uh, during this in this Isaiah passage, I think there's three postures of Christ that we can talk about. One is a past, uh, posture of learning. In verse 4 from the NRSV, it says, The Lord has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, he wakens my ear, to listen as those who are taught. So in this Passion Week, uh, Jesus Christ has learned from God, and and we too take that posture of learning. All of the teachings of Christ that led up to this week of suffering was because it was implanted in his ear by God. He learned. He didn't simply spout off good teaching. He spent time with a posture of learning before God. We too are called to that. And then second would be a posture of humility, okay? In other words, he submitted his life to God, whether good, whether bad, all right? So in verse 5, it says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult or spitting. All right, so you can have a talk in your own mind while you study what the difference between humility and humiliation is. But the point being is, is that Christ endured it because he was humble, and he wanted, above all things, to fulfill God's uh, purposes for his life. And we, too, then, submit ourselves in humility, not turning backwards, if you will, not having a rebellious ear, but we submit ourselves in a posture of humility, and we give ourselves as hands in the tools of God. But then finally, there's a posture of victory, right, in which God, Christ knew that he was going to suffer, but he also knew that he was going to rise again, and he would be sitting at the right hand of God Almighty. And so in verses uh, 7 through 9, it says this, The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who, who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. 
It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare who will declare me guilty. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. And so your three texts or your three points are that as Christians we come in a posture of learning, we come in a posture of humility, and then we also come in a posture of victory. Uh, on the night which Christ was betrayed, it said, knowing that all things had been given to him and that he was going to go back to the Father, he took out his outer robe and washed the feet of the disciples. The reason we can be in a posture of humility and accept the things that come at us is because we know we belong to God and we will be risen with Christ to God Almighty. And so that gives us, that victory assures us, or that assurance of victory allows us to be humble because we know that's not the end of the story. Now next we go to Psalm 31. This is a Psalm of David. If I was going to preach this, here's a way you could do it. Is first, God is worthy to be trusted. Uh, verses 1 through 5 are plea for God to be uh, a refuge, to be a fortress, a rock. And so in verse 4 and 5, uh, David says, Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. In other words, don't let them spring a trap on me. And then verse 5 is the one that will come to mind and ring in your ears. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So, of course, this is what Jesus says on the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. In other words, David could foresee that God was worthy to be trusted. That he could, again, like Isaiah says, put his trust in God because God has proven himself to be worthy. Not only in the past, but in David's life. And he also knew that God had a certain future for him and so that he was able to trust God. So that's, if this, if you're preaching the psalm, that's one of the points. God is worthy to be trusted. He is faithful. The next is that God cares for the psalmist. Not only does God then have the ability to take care of David, David knows that God cares for him. And so David says, you hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. That's in verse 6. But I trust in the Lord. I will exalt and rejoice in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have taken heed of my adversities and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Right, so David knows that God cares for him. We don't serve a God who simply is a chess player who doesn't care about the feelings of the pawns. But God is deeply concerned about you and I. He was deeply concerned about David. That's something to preach. Not only does God have the ability to care for us, God does care for us deeply, intimately. We can know God. God can know us and care for us at, at the deepest level, level of our souls. And then finally, all of this is not just flowery words. Not only can God be trusted, not only does God care about us, God has redeemed us. And so, at least in the psalm, David proclaims, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, this is in verse 19, that you have laid up for those who fear you, and accomplished for those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from human plots. You hold them safe under your shelter from, conten from contentious tongues. So for David, in the psalms, God has redeemed, and he is continuing to redeem. And if you put this in the context of Jesus Christ... Ultimately, God redeems by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. 
again, when you're preaching this, remember it's the context of the of the passion, the suffering of Christ, and how that narrative then applies to each of these texts and to the person you're preaching to, the congregation you're preaching to. What do we do in response? What do we receive in response? How does this prove God faithful? How does it help us to trust more in God, even in our sufferings or the suffering of Christ? Uh, It's what we're shooting for. And then Philippians chapter 2, then, verses 1 through 13 The major text here is, well, it's all good, but it kind of comes reversed. So normally the pattern of Paul is, look at what Christ has done, therefore you do this. But in this passage, Paul starts in verse 1, talking about then, in Christ, if you've had any consolation from Christ, any sharing of the Spirit, then you should be compassionate, you should be sympathetic, uh, be in the same mind, have the same love, and full of accord with one another. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So, really, that next part of the passage when Paul says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul tells us to have the mind of Christ, and it, it's a hearkening back to the Isaiah passage. It's humility, it's submission, and then it's also the exaltation. We can be humble, we can be submissive, because we know that then we'll be exalted, right? That's what it's about. Paul continues, After verses 6, 7, and 8 and verse 9, Therefore God also highly exalted Christ and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he ends by saying, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, enabling both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, it's in the setting of the passion, the suffering of Jesus Christ. He is suffering because he knows the exaltation and the beauty that's going to come from it. Right. So in humility, he submits himself to God. He's exalted. And then Paul says, in light of this, it should be your intention to pick up your cross and follow Christ as well. Because it's God who's working in you just like God was working in Jesus Christ, to do God's good and pleasing and perfect will. So remember that this week. The suffering wasn't just a show. It wasn't a moral influence, if you will. It's that as Christ submitted to God, we too submit to God. As Christ was exalted, we too will be exalted. Then that leads us then to the Luke chapter. That's just a long passage. You can bring that out. I'm choosing to kind of focus on verses 33 through 44, and that's when Jesus gets to uh, Golgotha, and he's crucified, and he's got the criminals, on one on his right, one on his left. It's when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The soldiers are casting lots. People are standing by mocking him and scoffing him. So again, you have the same thing, humility, submission. And then, uh, then verse 42 and 43 one of the thieves says, you know, in 41, this, the thief says, look, he's he's being condemned unjustly. This is a righteous man. And Jesus says, 
this day you'll be with me in paradise. All right, so there's the humility, uh, submission, and exaltation theme. That's really the theme this week. So if you need a, another, you can take all these texts. It's humility, submission, exaltation. But if I was going to preach this, uh, and you wanted just kind of a different way of preaching it, chances are every single one of us have been a character in the story. So as you preach this, think about your congregation or think about your own life. What would, who would we be if we were at the foot of the cross uh, looking up? You had two criminals there, one on the left and one on the right. One of them continued to scoff and condemn Jesus, and another one saw the righteousness of Christ and submitted in, in his own way to Christ. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, I said some horrible things about churches, about Jesus, and about people who liked church and Jesus. I've been that character, and I know the wickedness that was within me. Thank God I have been the criminal that saw the wrong that I'd, both I'd done and the world had done, and I joined the ranks, and hopefully one day I'll see Christ in paradise. You can talk about those things. If you were among the crowd, would you be the one mocking? Would someone in your congregation be a mocker? Maybe somebody's at your church that has been drugged there by their family, and they want nothing to do with anything religious. Those people are in your congregation. There are also going to be desperate people in your congregation, just like that thief on the cross who knew that they stand condemned justly, and they'll be seeking some way to connect with God, to have their sins forgiven, to become human again at their deepest level, to reflect the image of God. These people are going to be in your congregation, and I pray that God gives you the power to connect this story with their soul so that their stories can be changed. So that's kind of what I'm hitting at this week. I did keep the podcast under a certain amount of time, under 25 minutes anyway. Um, now, if you wanted to use all the text, this is the last thing I'll say. Uh, if you started uh, with the um, Isaiah passage, if you'll look at Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 5 and 6, it says this, The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who pulled out the, my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. And then in the Psalm passage, of course, in verse 5, that's where Jesus or David says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. And then verses, verse 11 says, I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances, those who see me in the street, flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many. There's terror all around me as they scheme together against me, and they plot for my life. And then, of course, the Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 6, 7, and 8. That's the who, though, uh, was in the form of God, did not re regard equality with God as something to be exploited, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being found in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You can highlight those passages and preach that uh, because all of those passages, of course, speak to why Christ and how Christ attained salvation uh, and redemption for creation. And so if you wanted to jump around, that would be a way to do so. It tells the story. It tells the story pretty well. So this week, friends... 
preach well, uh, preach with the power of the Holy Spirit, and connect the suffering of Christ to the redemption of creation. Don't leave us empty this week. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll uh, have a conversation again next week. 